And turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at the first 13 verses of this chapter. You know, I love Paul. Uh, he's great. When I uh, read Paul, I think, this guy's like me. You know, he, he writes like I talk. He starts working on this, on this idea. He's trying to help us understand. He starts to develop. And right in the middle of that, he realizes, well, maybe they don't understand this part. And so he immediately starts explaining that. And then he realizes, well, maybe they don't understand that. And he starts explaining this. And before very long, he's a long way from the point that he was making to begin with. He's digressed all the way off someplace else, and he's got to find his way back to his main point. You know, if uh, I'm convinced that if Paul had a laptop computer where he could edit as he went, we would have a very different New Testament than we do now. But uh, he didn't. He had an ink quill, not even erasable ink, and a scroll. And so once Paul got going, he just went. Look at uh, verse 1, chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he gets to think, well, maybe they don't understand what I'm talking about here. So he starts to explain this. Gets off on this explanation. In your Bible, there's a, a long dash that the editors put there right after verse 1 to show that what follows is a digression. In the original, this is just one stream of unpunctuated uh, stuff just coming out. I mean, he gets really excited as he pours out all of, this, all of these truths. And it goes all the way down through verse 13. And you'll see another dash in your Bible. And then verse 14. Look, he picks up right where he was before, right? At, uh, where he was at verse 1. uses the same words and gets back to what he wanted to say. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Now don't get me wrong, I am delighted that Paul digresses. There is so much in his digressions that we really do need to know. So much good stuff in there. I just uh, enjoy seeing his excitement, seeing his humanity shine through as he just gets into these, uh, these things he wants to explain. What he was going to say is how grateful he is to God. How uh, just overwhelmed with gratitude and, and how humbled he is by the, the, the privilege that God had given him. He's so overwhelmed that he falls to his knees in, in thanks to God. But again, right as he was doing that, he realized, well, maybe these people won't understand why I'm so grateful, why I see this as such a good thing. After all, Paul wrote this letter while he was sitting in prison. He wrote this while he was chained to a Roman guard, one of Nero's elite personal guard. And Paul was waiting to go on trial for his life. That doesn't sound like something to fall on your knees and be grateful for. So Paul feels like... He'd like to explain. What we're going to do this morning is walk through this wonderful digression, see what he has to say, and then step back and see what a wonderful privilege that Paul had been given, and what a wonderful privilege we have been given. And then maybe we will fall on our knees too and thank God. Paul starts by calling himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, this is the starting point of his joy. You or I might have said, no, he's a, he's a prisoner of Nero. Or he's a prisoner because of the insane hatred of, of the Jewish leaders 
After all, it was the Jewish leaders who had him arrested and falsely accused him of sedition against the Roman emperor so that the Romans would take him away and kill him. You see, Paul understood reality better than that. Sure, there were a lot of sinful people whose meanness and maliciousness created the situation that he was in. But Paul knows absolutely that Jesus Christ is the one who is in control. And because of that, even his imprisonment must be intended for something good. See, Paul ignores the secondary causes. He goes straight to the top. That's the same thing Joseph did in the Old Testament. Remember when uh, his uh, jealous, hateful brothers sold him into slavery? Because of them, he spent 13 years in slavery and in prison. But when it was all over, Joseph uh, said to his brothers, without any resentment, he said, You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he spoke kindly to them. Genesis 50. See, that's, that's how Paul looked at it. Jesus Christ is the one in charge. So Paul didn't view himself as a prisoner of Nero. Paul viewed himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ loved him and that Jesus is good and generous and therefore Paul concludes, even without knowing why or how, he concludes that even his imprisonment is part of God's good plan, is intended to accomplish something good. See, he is Jesus' prisoner ultimately, not Nero's. And just as soon as Jesus wanted him out, Paul knew that he would walk. It's in Jesus' hands. Anyway, Paul goes on to say that he is there for the sake of the Gentiles. Now that seems to be the phrase that he he wants to explain. So he does. Look at verse 2, 2 through 6. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of hard words in there. Let me try to, uh, to explain some of it. Uh, hopefully I won't digress so far that we don't get through it all and we run out of time. He says he assumes that they have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to him for them. Now what is an administration of God's grace? Well, the New American Standard is probably the best translation. It translates this, the stewardship, because that's what the word really means, the stewardship of God's grace. Now, think about this. What is a steward? If you go to a real fancy restaurant and they have a wine steward, what's that guy's job? His job is to to find out what wine is going to go best with your meal, what you need, go get it and bring it to you. A wine steward dispenses wine. 
He tries to match the right wine with the right customer. See, that's what a steward does. He, dis- he or she dispenses something, something that a person needs. In, in Paul's day, a steward was a, a slave who was in charge of, of, of passing out to the other slaves what they needed, their food, and their clothing, the, the supplies they needed to do their job, to do their work. He was kind of a manager uh, administrator who was in charge of dispensing the provisions for the rest of the household, for the whole business. So what Paul is saying is that he has been given the job of dispensing something, passing something out to the Gentiles. Now what is it uh, that he is dispensing and how did he get this job? Well, he says, by the revelation of the mystery of Christ. What he's passing out is the mystery of Christ. And the way he got the job of passing it out is God revealed to him what that mystery was. And once he knew what it was, he had to give it to others. There's a whole lot uh, packed into here. And again, I don't want to digress too far, but let me make a, a, a couple of points. First of all, how Paul received this information. Paul did not read it. See, up to this point, uh, nobody had written it. Paul said in that uh, section we read, made it very clear that no one in any previous generation understood the mystery. Paul didn't hear it, even though there were other people, the other apostles who, who Jesus had trained, who knew it. See, when Paul became a Christian, it was three years before he even met another apostle. And it was 13 years before they sat down, several of them sat down and looked at his explanation of the mystery of Christ. And when they did, they said, yep, that's it, exactly. Paul says they didn't add a thing. They said, you have it 100%. You know it as well as we do. See, Paul received the mystery by revelation. Jesus Christ himself came and told Paul what he said and what he did and what it all meant. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking to the people in Corinth about communion. And listen to what he says. He says, For what I passed on to you, I received from the Lord. How on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now think about it. Paul was not in that upper room when this happened. And none of the other disciples who were there had told him what had happened. Jesus himself came and said, Paul, this is what I said. This is what I did. This is what it meant. And when Paul finally had a chance to sit down and talk with the other apostles, and he told them what Jesus had told him, they said, that's exactly what happened. That is exactly what Jesus said. See, they knew that he must have received his information directly from Jesus because none of them told him and he knew exactly what Jesus had done and said. Paul received this revelation. He received his knowledge, the information about the mystery of Christ directly from the Lord and that's what he is dispensing. That's what he is passing out to the Gentiles and to us. But Paul also recognizes that he's not the only one who has this information. He says, God revealed it to his apostles and prophets. You see, the other apostles, they 
got the, the, the raw material as they walked around with Jesus and watched what he did and heard what he said. But it still took the Holy Spirit coming to them and reminding them what Jesus did and teaching them what it meant. And it was one of the promises that Jesus made before he left. He said, I'll send the helper. He'll come and, and, and he'll bring all of this to your mind and he'll explain it all. He'll teach you all things. So that they would understand not just what was said and done, but how it fits together into the mystery. And once they began to understand, they began to write it down for us. That's what we have in the New Testament. We have the explanation and the background necessary for us to understand the mystery. The way we have access to the mystery of Christ is by reading our Bible. Reading and studying what these apostles wrote. I think it also helps us understand a little bit about why uh, Paul being in prison may have been a good thing. See, if Paul wasn't in prison, he would have just gone to Ephesus, he would have explained this stuff to him, he wouldn't have needed to write it down. And if he hadn't written it down, we couldn't read it. And we wouldn't have access to this information. The fact is, the majority of our New Testaments were written from prisons by John, when he was in exile in Patmos or another prison, uh, by Peter, by, by, by Paul... Or by somebody who was with them while they were in prison, Mark or Luke. You see, their imprisonment really was for our benefit so that we would have it in writing. Not just what they said, but what they wrote. So that we could come back to it and understand the mystery of Christ for ourselves. Now, what is the mystery of Christ? Well, first of all, what is any mystery? A mystery is a secret. The, the word mystery was used by them very much like one of the ways we use the word secret. You go into a bookstore, you'll see titles like The uh, Secret of a Happy Marriage, The, the uh, Secret to Business Success, The Secrets of the Animal World, The, the Secrets to Self-Esteem, the, the Secret to Getting Along with Others. A secret is a key to understand it's a key to understand something about life. And because we understand it, to solve the problems that we run into in life. And that's just what a mystery is. A mystery is the secret or the key to, to life, to understanding and experiencing life. Paul is telling us that he has been given the, the, the most important, the single most valuable secret to all of life. The key to real life. And he calls this mystery the mystery of Christ. Now what is the mystery of Christ? Well, Paul says, if you want to know what the mystery of Christ is, go back and read what I've already written. He says, I wrote briefly about it already. If you want to know about it, go back and restudy that stuff. See, in, in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul talked about the mystery of Christ. In, in chapter 1, verses 3 all the way through 14, it's just one long explanation details of the mystery. Now, we studied that in detail when we were studying chapter 1. We don't have time to go back and really get into the detail. But, but, but let me just uh, refer to verses 9 and 10. There, Paul says, it was God's good pleasure. God enjoyed. He was delighted to tell us about the mystery that he was planning in Jesus Christ. And that plan was at the right time, when the world was ready, when he had set everything up just right, to send Jesus, and then to bring everything together in him and under him. 
See, that was the plan all along, was to bring everything together in Christ. God was going to to answer all of the world's problems and all of our personal problems in Christ. Everything comes together in Christ. See, the gospel is very simply that by faith, by trusting Jesus, we are placed into Christ so that what's true of him is true of us. And when we do this, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, We are placed into Christ. We are a new creature. We are freed from the guilt and the destruction in our life that guilt produces. We are united with God. We're His children. We're totally loved, totally accepted by Him. We have a whole new way of looking at ourselves and others. We, we become concerned with the needs of others. We become concerned with others in need around the world. See, our relationship with creation changes. We begin to learn how, how to cultivate and protect and enhance our world rather than destroy it. We begin to understand the, the spiritual forces that are at work around us so that we begin to understand what's going on in life all around us and what's going on in our own lives. You see, all of this, everything comes together in Christ. That was the plan all along, to bring everything together in Christ. In chapter 2, Paul talked about how we are freed from our sins in Christ, how our lives are being transformed in Christ, how we are beginning to walk in good works in Christ. The thing that he really gets excited about is how all of the promises of the Old Testament come together in Christ. This is what David was talking about last week as he taught from that chapter. How all of the, the promises come together in Christ to produce peace. Paul really gets excited about that peace, verse 14 through 16. That peace that we have within ourselves, that peace that we have with other people, and that peace that we now have with God. See, the, uh, the, the whole thing starts with peace within ourselves. Until we have the life of Jesus Christ, who himself is our peace, inside us. We can never have peace. But when we trust Him, we're placed into Christ, and He comes to live in us. He is our peace. And as we get in touch with His life in us, realizing His power at work in us, His control over the circumstances of our lives, His acceptance of us, His love for us, then we experience peace. Then because of who He is and what He's done, we begin to experience peace with each other. Paul tells us that that, that Jesus tore down the barrier to peace between people by abolishing the law in His flesh. And what he meant by that was that when Jesus Christ died on the cross in fulfillment of the law, He made it so that our acceptance is no longer based on our performance on how well we keep all of the commands and the regulations. Performance is no longer the basis on which God accepts us. Accepts us because we're in Christ. Therefore, performance is no longer the basis on which we accept each other. We do not 
reject others because they hurt us or because they fail to meet our our expectations. See, we can forgive that because we have been forgiven. Now, we may need to, uh, uh, to work through something with someone who is doing something that's wrong or hurtful. But even as we do that, we don't reject them. We love them even as we exercise tough love, calling on them to face what they're doing. We don't keep track of, of all the hurts against us. We don't demand that people change for us. We don't demand that they come to us. We go to them. Recognizing that, that we are, are forgiven sinners as well. This uh, whole concept that, that Paul explained there about being in Christ, this mystery of Christ, is really the basis for peace. For all kinds of peace. Peace between nations as we, uh, as we all forgive and we break the historic cycles of retribution and violence. Peace between races and uh, between social classes, uh, rich and poor, black and white, Latino, all loving each other in Christ, aggressively, actively seeking to love each other. This forms a basis for uh, peace between the sexes as we learn to accept each other just as we are in Christ. This forms a basis for peace between spouses and family members and friends, neighbors, uh, people in, in churches together as we learn to treat each other as God treats us. And we stop focusing on, on, on the failures and the offenses of the others, but look deeply at our own sins and failures. You see, in Christ, two people who have a long list of hurts over the years can turn away from those patterns Can each one truly repent of their own hurtful behavior and can turn toward each other in love? I'm digressing, sorry. Well, finally Paul says that that, that in Christ we have total peace with God. This is still back in chapter 2. He says that... uh, that all hostility has been removed. All the hostility that we have against God can be abandoned. And His anger at us for our sins is paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. You see, we have peace within ourselves because we are united with Christ. We have peace with each other because we are united together in Christ. We have peace with God. We have total access to Him because we are united with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, all of it, every bit of it, comes together in Christ. This is a small but fundamental slice of the mystery of Christ, how it all comes together in Christ. Well, the part of the mystery that Paul is talking about in chapter 3 that that we're supposed to be studying here is that the Gentiles who were excluded unless they became Jews, are now accepted right along with Jews. Well, why? Well, because both Jew and Gentile become a new thing. They become Christians. They're in Christ. You see, all races, all sexes, all uh, uh, economic classes, economic situations, all personality, all ages, all on the same footing... Christians in Christ, 
Sinners covered by his blood. Verse 6 again. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel. Paul says that he became a servant of this gospel. The word servant literally means table waiter. Somebody who goes and gets what the people sitting around the table need. He gets what each of them need. And he he brings it to the table and gives it to them. It's the same idea as a steward. Somebody who gets what somebody needs and gives it to them. See, Paul is using the same picture here. He says this is what he does. He takes the mystery of Christ and he brings the particular aspect of that mystery, of the truth there. And he gives it to people according to what part they need to understand. He explains that piece, that angle, that part of it, so that they understand and that their life is changed as a result. That they find healing or they find wisdom or they, they, they find strength. Whatever they need. Paul explains that piece of the mystery to them. See, this is what ministry is all about. This is what any ministry is about. This is the heart of ministry, is that we take the truth of who we are and what we have in Christ. And then we bring that aspect of that truth to people, according to to their life, according to what's going on in their life, and what they need to hear, what they need to know. And we explain it to them. We help them come to understand and really grasp the riches of Christ. That is what any ministry is all about. That's what this church is all about. That's what our philosophy of ministry is. Any ministry is just taking the mystery of Christ and giving people the piece of it that they need to understand. Well, this uh, requires two things. First of all, we need to come to understand it for ourselves. We need to understand for ourselves how being in Christ changes the way I look at myself. How it helps me come to grips with the things that I've done in my past. Or what's been done to me in my past. How, how it uh, changes the way I, I look at my job. How it changes the way I, I treat my family or my neighbors. How it affects my financial decisions. How, how it affects every area of my entire life. And then as we come to grips with these things and understand these things, as the Holy Spirit teaches us, then we can serve up what we have learned to others, to someone else who needs to know that secret, to understand that part of life. Listen to Paul's uh, attitude toward uh, this job of serving up the mystery of Christ, the gospel. Verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me. You hear the gratitude there. Grace. Grace means undeserved favor. He talks about it as a gift over and over. It's given to me. He says, I I am the least deserving of any of God's people, yet by God's gracious, undeserved favor, He gave me this privilege. Paul is overwhelmed 
at how profound the privilege is of understanding the mysteries of Christ. And then having the opportunity to take that knowledge and give it to other people. To see their lives transformed. Paul is, is overwhelmed by that privilege. He's thrilled. He couldn't be more excited. Let me read through the next uh, couple of verses. Starting with the second half of eight where I stopped. Okay, he says, uh, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the stewardship of this mystery for which, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now I don't, I don't know about you, but I read that and, and I kind of go, <laughs> you know, slow down Paul, <laughs> let me catch my breath. Paul gets so excited, he just pours out all of this profound, this great stuff. There's a lot there. And uh, I don't think we have, <laughs> we have enough time to get it all out. You know, a lot of times when I read Paul, I feel like I've just played three and a half quarters of basketball and I'm kind of waving at the coach to take me out and takes me out, and, but before I can sit down to rest, he sends me back in. <laughs> okay. We can do this. Or like you, you go over to somebody's house for dinner and they bring out this wonderful, fabulous feast and you stuff yourself. And right as that last bite you could possibly have fit in is going down, they bring out dessert. <laughs> you kind of go, uh, it looks wonderful, but how do you fit it in? Well, let me uh, encourage you. We'll take it easy on these verses. And uh, maybe just lick off a little of the icing that you can come back and, and eat more deeply at another time. I just want to give you a flavor. First of all, Paul said uh, that these truths that we're discovering are not only for our benefit. He not only God's plan was not only for us to understand these things, but as we understand these things and start demonstrating the mysteries of Christ in our lives that the spiritual beings, the, the, the angels and the demons will look on and they'll go, whoa, God is incredible. Look at what he had planned all along and we didn't have a clue. This is amazing. Let's catch a flavor for what this, for what this plan looks like. Paul says that he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, the fact that they're unsearchable doesn't mean they're unknowable. <clears throat> The word means unfathomable. It's a nautical term. Just uh, in, in the ancient world, as the sailors were going around the shores of the ancient world, they would periodically drop a rope side with a weight on it, see how deep the water was, and they, that way they could keep from running aground. When they got to an unfathomable depth, it just meant that their rope wasn't long enough. When it comes to the riches of Christ, that's true. Our ropes aren't long enough. We'll never reach the bottom. We will never exhaust 
that subject. Never come to understand it all. There'll always be more to know, more to get excited about, more to, 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 to praise God for as we come to understand it. Paul gives us a great illustration when he refers to God who created all things. Now, why in the middle of all this argument, he says, God who created all things? Well, the reason is because he wants to bring to our mind the richness, the, the, the incredible variety and complexity of creation. Now, last week I was watching a show on Channel 4 about the Amazon Basin, and they were just going through and talking about all of the types of plants and animals. It was incredible. At one point they just said, we're going to focus just on bats. There were 20,000 varieties of bats. Each of them eat a different thing. Each of them play a different role in the ecosystem. You know, it's just mind-boggling. We've got more scientists today looking at more aspects of creation than ever before. We've got astronomers and biologists and botanists and chemists and physicists and physicians and engineers all looking at a different piece of creation. We've got more information right now than we have ever had before. We've got more than any of us can even imagine. But the more we discover, the more we discover there is to discover. The more we realize uh, how little we know and how much more there is to know. The more we discover, the more we realize that we are just scratching the surface when it comes to God's manifold wisdom. The word means multi-sided, multifaceted wisdom and skill when it comes to creation. See, the fact is, we will never reach the bottom. We will never know it all when it comes to exploring this world. God is too deep. His imagination is too great for us to exhaust it. But that doesn't discourage us. We don't give up because every time we do discover more, we can use that to enhance life, to make lives better. And a scientist, the more they discover, the more they add to what we already know, to what we share, the more excited, the, the, the more energized, the more fulfilled he or she becomes. When uh, Albert Einstein first articulated his general theory of relativity, very few people had any clue what he was talking about. Some of us still have no clue what he was talking about. I think he barely did at first. But as people have really grappled with it, really studied it, come to understand it, it has radically transformed the way scientists think. And as they begin to put it to use and to apply it, it's led to all kinds of new discovery and technology. Einstein discovered one little aspect of the mystery of creation. And we begin to explore it and gain from it and profit from it. Sometimes we're straining because we're just barely starting to understand. But that doesn't stop us from using it and from focusing on it and growing in our understanding. We know we'll never reach the bottom. You know, quantum theory that comes out of that postulates we will never reach the bottom. We can't. But that doesn't stop us from looking and learning and gaining and benefiting and profiting from what we learn. See, what Paul is doing, he's calling you to be scientists of sorts. No matter what else you do, you're called to put your energy, 
your focus on discovering the mysteries of Christ, the riches that you have in Christ. That's what your focus becomes. Discovering more and more of the riches in Christ. Now, you'll never reach the bottom. You'll never exhaust it. But the more you discover, the more answers you'll find to your life and relationships. The more you discover, the more excited you'll become. Your fulfillment will reach new heights. Your life will be radically transformed. There is nothing better in life. Then as you discover the mysteries of Christ, you have the incomparable privilege of taking what you discover and passing it on to others. Becoming a steward of the mysteries. Passing that little piece that you just now came to understand. Dispensing the mysteries of Christ and seeing other people's lives transformed. See them freed from the things that are destroying them. See them reconciled to others. See them at peace with themselves. But most importantly, they will learn, as Paul said, in Christ and through faith in Him, they may approach God with freedom and confidence. That is the deepest hunger of their souls. That is the deepest longing of your heart to be able to approach God with freedom and with confidence. We live in a uh, world that is torn up by conflict. There's war in Bosnia. There is uh, slaughter in Rwanda. There's terrorism in Oklahoma City. Uh, There is... uh, Hunger all over the world. Every big city has horrible ghettos. Um, Every one of our extended families has divorce in it. There's child abuse everywhere. Teen suicide is epidemic. There's strife in every one of our churches. There is pain in every one of our hearts. The mystery of Jesus Christ has the answer to every one of those problems and more. Our job is to discover how. In Proverbs 25.2, we are told it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. You see, it is our glory, our joy, our life's enterprise to search out the riches of Christ to discover them, to discover a new understanding, a new facet of the manifold wisdom of God. And then to pass that on to others and see others' lives enriched by it. In the midst of this torn-up world, the best, the most important, the greatest thing that you can do is to discover for yourself By studying the Scripture, by looking honestly at your life and the lives around you, by thinking deeply about the problems that we all face. Discover for yourself the mysteries, the secrets of Christ. See, that's what this church is all about. To know Christ and to make Him known. We are dedicated to that. But it's not enough that we do it as a church. Each of us, you, 
must do it on your own as well. You have been given the Holy Spirit for that very purpose. To take what is of Christ and make it known to you. You can't do it without Him. But with Him, you can know even beyond knowledge. The mysteries, the secrets, the riches of Christ. And as you come to understand those, you then become stewards of those mysteries, passing out, dispensing those riches to others. You become a table waiter serving up the feast of Christ. And Paul says that's exactly what he had become. And that's why he asks him in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. Don't feel bad for me. You know, prison is absolutely nothing compared to the overwhelming privilege of knowing the mysteries of Christ and passing those on to others. Prison can't even put a dent in the joy and the peace of knowing Christ and making Him known. Let's pray. Lord, I do uh, just praise You. I fall on my knees before You that You have given us the uh, the, the almost unimaginable privilege of understanding what has not been understood for ages past. Not even the angels understood how You brought everything together in Christ. Lord, we barely understand it. We grapple with it on the edge of our understanding. But Lord, the more we discover, the more we see Your wisdom the more we praise You, the more we glorify You. Lord, I pray that You would move powerfully in each of our hearts to dedicate ourselves to discovering the mysteries of Christ, discovering what You accomplished by sending Your Son, by placing us in Him, therefore bringing all things together. Lord, Explain that knowledge to us day by day as we honestly look at our lives, honestly look at your word, honestly talk to each other. Lord, we, uh, we want to be faithful stewards. We want the thrill of discovering for ourselves your love, your great plan. Pray this in your name. Amen.